My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, I am really excited and thrilled to be joined in studio today with a very special guest, and that special guest is my son, Will. Hi, Will. Hi, Susie. <laughs> okay, try again. Hi, Mama. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you, first of all, home for Christmas break, um, and secondly, just that we are doing this update because it's been a little while since we've done a recording, I guess about a year ago, we did one for the brightest it's ever been, right. but we haven't done a personal update on you. And I've had a lot of listeners asking me what's going on with you, what your life is like now. And I just thought it would be really a great way to kick off season five with a will update. And well, so let me be the first to say my life is crazy. No. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay. Why don't you start off by telling the listeners what you've been up to since the last recording, which was probably about two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago, I was getting ready to head to Shenandoah Conservatory in Virginia. Um, since then, I transferred to Mid-America Nazarene University, which is in Olathe, Kansas, not too far from where we live and where we're recording this episode. Uh, since then, I have had a great full year of school. Uh, I'm studying acting and directing, and I will be graduating this time next year. That's just hard for me to believe because you're still my, my baby boy. So I'll be your baby boy forever, though, right? Yes, that's right. But I want you to talk a little bit about what has happened over the last two years because it hasn't just been like, okay, well, I went away and then I came back. So let's delve a little bit more in depth to that story. So we drove you out to Virginia a couple of years ago. Talk about that, what you were feeling at that time. Yeah, about two years ago, we made the 16 and a half hour trek out to Winchester, and boy, was it a trek. Um, yes. It was a beautiful drive in January. It was a little scary <laughs> at times. Um, yes. We moved into my dorm. Uh, it was maybe 20 degrees outside, and there was a foot of snow. So it uh, really set the tone right away. Uh, the uh, heating in my room did not work. So I, um, I, I bundled up and contacted maintenance, but, um, no, Shenandoah was, was an interesting experience for me. It was, um, I learned a lot about myself and about what I want to do with my life and what I don't want to do with my life. Um, I, when I, when I went to Shenandoah, I thought I really wanted to go to New York and do the Broadway thing. And doing that essentially in school, being in a bunch of dance classes and doing shows and basically going 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., 11 p.m. every day 
um, singing and dancing all day, every day, um, as well as being in a, in a different culture than I'm used to. Um, you know, I kind of realized that that wasn't probably for me. And it was also really hard for me to be 16 hours away. You know, I was a thousand miles door to door and that was, uh, that was tough to be that far from home and, uh, not really be able to just drive up for a weekend or anything, you know, at TCU, um, there was, uh, there was an eight hour drive, but you know, if I really needed to, I could do that, but you know, it was a, it was a little more involved to get home from Winchester. Just to clarify, you spent your first semester of college at TCU and then transferred to Shenandoah. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, And I'm gonna dis- I'm gonna make a disclaimer that there's nothing wrong with either of these two schools. They're they're great educational institutes institutions <laughs> that um, that a lot of people find great success in. But you know at TCU it wasn't um, it wasn't what I was looking for, and um, my uh, anxiety levels were pretty high, and I was having a hard time finding my crowd, finding my people. And, um, you know, I thought that I really wanted to, to go to the East Coast and, and do the Broadway thing. And so I transferred to Shenandoah. And from there, I, uh, I learned a lot about myself and continued to have some, um, some mental health struggles. Um, and through that, as well as uh, being far from home and learning that I didn't really want to do the Broadway thing that, uh, that led me back to, uh, sunny Olathe, Kansas. Let's delve into that whole, didn't want to do the Broadway thing anymore. So you were there second semester, your freshman year, it was cold, snowy, (laughs) dorm room was a little depressing, not going to lie. You were excited though, for this fresh start. Where did things go from there? Shenandoah was a very different experience than anything that I'd had before. It was in a very small town. Uh, Winchester is about 35,000 people, and it's, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. And the school itself was about 2,000 students, and, um, you know, it was a small campus. Everybody knew everybody. And uh, there was a there was a pretty strong party culture at Shenandoah, and you know I'm not really about that. I don't I don't drink or smoke or do any of that. So um, you know pretty quickly I was experiencing some some alienation from that, being one of a couple people in the in the whole theater program who didn't do those things and didn't enjoy you know going out on the weekends, the parties wouldn't start till 11 or 1130. And that is just past my bedtime. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I mean, even now people call me grandpa because I go to bed early. Um, But that's, that's one thing that I found for myself that I just, I have to have a consistent sleep schedule or else Will's not going to be very happy in the morning. (laughs) Um, But continuing uh, to, to experience some isolation, uh, from from my peers at at Shenandoah was um, not great for my mental health. Again, I'm a, I'm a very social person. I like to be around people, especially 
people that I enjoy being around. And um, again, nothing wrong with these people, but it just wasn't uh, wasn't the crowd for me. And so it was uh, it was hard for me to really plant my feet and, and get a solid foundation going. I remember you calling probably in April um, of that semester. So you'd been there since January and you had been seeing a therapist regularly. We found somebody in Winchester for you to see on a weekly basis. I think you were seeing her weekly. Mm -hmm. And I remember you calling me sometime in April and you said, mom, I'm getting depressed again. And I remember taking a deep breath like I just did. Um, okay, let's talk about that. And the first question I asked you was, are you safe? Do you remember that conversation? No, I, I don't have great, like, specific conversation memory in the last couple of years. But, um, yeah. You told me you were safe and... For the listeners, that's the first question you ask someone if they say, I am feeling depressed, suicidal, et cetera, fill in the blank. And if Will had said, no, I'm not safe, I would have immediately started making phone calls to people at the university to ensure his safety. And I would have been on the first plane that I could have been on to get there. But when he told me, when you told me, Will, that you were safe, then we started discussing how to get you through the remainder of the semester because there was probably a month left at this point. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking you, you know, can you, can you finish? Can you finish the semester? And you said, yes, I think I can do that. Okay. And you told me at that time that you weren't really gelling with a therapist um, and so I started looking at other options for you. And this is one of the ways that I encourage parents to help their adult children, because while an adult child has to take ownership of their own mental health, there are things that we can do to help, particularly when a child, an adult child is in the midst of depression. It's really hard to sometimes see through that fog. What would you say about that, Will? About the fog? Yeah, of just being depressed and it's uh it's it's an oppressive feeling where, you know, yes, I know that there are options and, and things that could be done, but it just doesn't feel like anything is going to help at that point. Um and so having having you there to kind of seek out those those other therapists and and help guide me through that was was very helpful and you were still on medication mm -hmm. that you had been taking for multiple months at this point if I remember correctly as luck or providence would have it you had an appointment with your psychiatrist a telehealth visit pretty quickly after you called me I don't remember if that was already scheduled or if we called and made that happen. I don't know. But I, I do know that you had a, an appointment with him while you were still at school um, and you you discussed your medication with him. Do you remember the outcome of that call? Yeah, we we upped my dosage. Um, went from like a 60 to a 90. So 
not like, oh, we're we're changing everything and we're gonna like triple your dosage. No, it was like a it was a one hundred fifty percent. You know, it wasn't anything crazy, but it was uh, it was an adjustment to help with you know the current circumstances, and sometimes that just needs to happen. Mm-hmm. We FaceTimed about every day. I think from that point on, you were still really involved. You were doing a lot of things. You were busy. But then there was that isolation and loneliness factor. Yeah, I was, I had a roommate, um, but my roommate and I just didn't really talk. It was it was kind of a weird situation, actually. Um, I think we maybe had three or four conversations the whole the whole semester that I lived there. Um, and so that was tough, just not living with somebody who I talked to at all and, you know, going to the classes and rehearsals and, and then going to all those, eh, going to classes and rehearsals. I was, um, you know, I was still kind of an outsider cause I had only been there for a few months and, I was I was kind of a freshman, but kind of a sophomore. So I was taking some of my classes with upperclassmen, but some of them with the freshman class, and you know, it's just a it was a weird dynamic. Yeah, I remember that when you started because you started at semester the way that the, their program worked. It was a cohort, and you didn't start in the fall with the freshman class, so you were sort of piecemeal that semester and didn't really have a, a group per se. Yeah, and that's that's nothing against the, the people who were a part of that freshman cohort. I just, you know, I came in halfway through their year and they had already established relationships and it's really hard to break in anywhere in that circumstance. During that month, I believe, I believe we flew you home once for a weekend um, pretty quickly there. And then I flew out to drive back with you in May. And even though, you know, I'd seen you what, three weeks prior probably and FaceTimed with you a lot. When I got there, I was pretty surprised what bad shape you were in. Yeah, I was not, not doing super great. Um, and I, you know, FaceTimes can, can only show so much. And so I think seeing, in person, that was probably a very different experience than our phone calls that we've had. For sure. And I think FaceTime can be good, but just as an encouragement to parents, if you don't get to see your kids or you don't get to see your kid and you're worried, sometimes, you know, a flight is worth it or a drive is worth it because, again, seeing him in person was very different than what I had seen on FaceTime. And I didn't realize how bad a shape he was in. Yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> no, you were you were in pretty bad shape, and I remember calling your dad that night and saying he's not in very good shape. I'm glad I'm here. We need to get him home. So lucky us, we drove all sixteen and a half hours in one day. We did, and I do remember <laughs> that we weren't even an hour outside of Winchester, and you said. I don't know if I want to go back there, and I don't even know if I want to go to college now. Yeah, I especially after going to two very different universities, um, you know, it, it wasn't super encouraging to to go from a bad place for myself to a worse place for myself. And 
you know, at that point, I, I was thinking, okay, what, what can I do instead of going back to school? And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't giving up by any means. It wasn't like, I just, I don't want to do anything because that doesn't work for me. If you, if you go back and listen to our first episode, you know that when COVID hit, I got a job because I got bored and being sitting around doing nothing isn't good for me. Um, so it would, it wasn't a case of, I'm just going to sit around and twiddle my thumbs and be depressed. You know, I would get a job, I would do something, but you know, my, my mind was trying to think of alternatives to, um, going back to a bad place. We drove that 16 hour drive. We got you home, got you back to your therapist. It was an exciting drive. <laughs> there was one of the most torrential downpours that I have ever been in. Forgot about that. And, um, for both of our sakes, I drove it because it was dark. It was dark. Yeah, it was kind of scary. Um, it was Indiana, I think. It was coming up on on. Oh no! It was on the it was on the west side of Indianapolis through Illinois. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, really scary storm. Completely blacked out the sky. Um, and uh, you know, I I turned on my music and and focused on the road we got through it baby (laughs) but we got you home got you back with your therapist you got a job you waited tables that summer which was it was a good job for you no it was a great job um and steadily watched you get better Mm -hmm. talk about that summer that summer was really good in a lot of ways um being back home having a a steady routine with, um, you know, going to work and and being with my family and my girlfriend, Kaylee, who uh, you might remember from the brightest it's ever been episode last year. Um, And it was just a, it was a really different environment than, um, than Winchester was for me. And, you know, again, I was going to therapy. I had my dogs because um, I love my dogs, and it was a it was a good summer. And I didn't really want to go back to school at that point. Uh, go back to Shenandoah because it was, uh, you know, I have a good thing going, and I know the last time I was there, I was depressed, and so you know, it was a. Uh, it was kind of an internal struggle for me. Like I, I want to give it another shot because I don't want to just give up on it, but also it sucked last time. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a, yeah, it was a struggle. And we had several conversations, you and your dad and I about, you know, what are you going to do? What are, and we encouraged you if possible, if you were safe to, to right. go back and give it another try because you had transferred in at semester, you weren't able to audition for all the main main stage productions, and you would been you would have been able to do that going in the fall. And again, being more with a class that this time around could you know, and some differences that all three of us, along with your therapist 
and your psychiatrist decided that, okay, you're healthy, you're in a good place, going to give it one more shot here. Give it the old college yeah, give it try. give the old college <laughs> try. And so we packed it up and drove the 16 and a half hours back to Winchester. And I remember on that drive back, that would have been in August of 22, that you found out you got called back for several shows and you were really excited. And that was encouraging to to you mm-hmm. um shenandoah is uh, a shenandoah conservatory is a broadway training ground most if not all of the graduates from that program are cast in broadway shows or national tours or you know big big acting gigs um so it this is getting those callbacks was really good um confirmation that you were good at what you were doing yeah no it's it's always nice to get you know positive feedback and and confirmation like you said especially from these these professors are all industry professionals who have been on broadway and hearing them say all right we want to see you sing for this role or read for this role that's uh that's really encouraging and um i was i was excited there were some shows that i was really interested in um, one of which I got cast in, 12 Angry Jurors, based off of the classic black and white film, 12 Angry Men. Um, and, and, you know, I love that movie. We watched it in government in high school, and I, I instantly enjoyed it. And so getting to be in that show as kind of the, the bad guy was really exciting for me. Um, the experience was a little different. <laughs> Uh, the version that we ended up doing was a modern adaptation, uh, not just a modern adaptation, but a modern rated R adaptation. And I'm not really about that. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it, it, what I thought was going to be a really positive experience ended up being uh, pretty disappointing for me. And, you know, while the whole show sold out and it was, uh, very well, received both critically and popularly um you know it was it was a a reversal of expectations that i wasn't uh wasn't particularly aware of or fond of after the fact and just to brag on you a little bit (laughs) you were the only non-senior cast in that show and you had one of the lead roles i would say in that show and i do remember you calling after maybe the first two or three rehearsals and saying this is a dark show and I am a dark character yeah it's uh it's a little bit comical now because I um one of the types that I tend to play is kind of the the bad guy you know misogynistic racist guy I I tend to play the characters that are really easy to hate Mm. and um you know, a lot of that is is really interesting to dive into as an actor and as an artist. But um, the, you know, this was uh, this was a, a different level of um, darkness than than anything that I'd really done up to that point. Um, you know, I I warned my mom and and my family that came and saw it like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be screaming four letter words really loud, uh, really loudly and boy did I mm-hmm. but um, 
apparently it did pretty well. I, you were phenomenal. You played the character really well, but after I saw it for the first time, I understood what you were saying about this is a dark story and I'm a dark character. And I was concerned about you during that period of time because, again, if that's what you're surrounding yourself with, that typically hasn't worked out very well for you. Yeah, historically, uh, I haven't found a lot of success for for my personal uh, well-being in situations that tend to uh, point more towards the darker side of of things, of humanity, of the human experience. And so that was not a particularly uh, uplifting experience for me. That show was in late October of 2022, and I believe shortly after that, you called us and had some ideas about what you wanted to do in the future. Yes. In October, November of 2022, I started the transfer process to uh, my current and final college home um, in America, Nazarene University. I had had a lot of really great experiences with MNU. Uh, My girlfriend, Kaylee, goes to MNU and my... um, some of my cast members of the brightest it's ever been that we that we produced shortly thereafter were uh, MNU students and faculty, and so I was um, I was really high on MNU. It, it was a positive environment. It was a really great place full of people that I got along really well with, and uh, furthermore, it was a it was a Christian university, and that w- was a. Uh, becoming even even more important to me and you know is still very important to me and so it, it felt like the uh the right thing to do um as well as having the local support system and opportunities that i'd built up over the past five six years in kansas city you know i didn't have any of that in small town winchester an hour and a half from washington dc um coming home and being in a place where I, I knew people and I had great connections and there was a really good uh, support system for me. That that seemed like the, the best thing for me to do at that point. And also at that point, you had pretty much decided on a career path difference. Yes. Uh, being at Shenandoah and again, being in eight to 10 hours of dance a week, uh, I was realizing that the Broadway thing, the the musical theater situation, is uh, you're you're a dancer more than you're really anything else. And while I enjoy dancing to a degree, um, I don't enjoy dancing for a degree. And so <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a writer too. I had had a lot of conversations with my parents and Kaylee and my therapist about. Um, what I might do instead of Broadway. And my conclusion that we came to was to do something in the Christian sphere and the uh, biblical worldview of the arts. And so that, um, that, that was the career path that I wanted to work towards. And that, uh, is very difficult to do anywhere, but especially in a um, in a place like Washington D.C. or New York City, um, where 
you know, that isn't just not looked upon fondly, but is actively discouraged in a lot of places. Um, that, that was, a, a another really big reason for me wanting to move back to Kansas. You started at MNU, Mid-America Nazarene, in the spring semester of 2023. And tell us how things went with your semester. Well, so I was added to my uh, sweet group chat, uh, sweet S-U-I-T-E. We had six dudes living in an apartment with one bathroom, so we got really close really fast. (laughs) Um, But it was... It was a really, really good semester. Um, you know, I, I moved in in January and started working on a show pretty quickly. And my classes were things that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, I was in a, a theater history class, and I'm going to show my nerdiness a little bit. It was theater history up to like 1800 or something, which is all the Greek dramas and Roman, and then you're getting into the Middle Ages and all sorts of um, European period dramas. And I mean, that's what I am all about. I love it. Um, So yeah, huge nerd. But that was um, one of the classes that I really enjoyed. I was also taking uh, New Testament and Old Testament classes. So I was was attempting to become a Bible scholar in less than four months. (laughs) And I, I mean, it was... It was such a different environment being in a in a Christian school where all of the teachers are actively, um, you know, following Jesus and trying to um, share that love of Jesus with all of their students. You know, even if it is a lecture hall of thirty five people, thirty five people uh, for everybody who went to a big school. You're laughing at me right now, but that's a big class for me. Um, it was a it was a environment where everybody wanted the best for each other and it was uh it was really refreshing to me and when I would say you know oh I'm an acting directing major and you know we're working on a show you should come see it they're like oh yeah I love coming to the plays that was not the case at at, especially at Shenandoah like the other students you know, it was a D3 sports school, so you went there to either play sports or be in the conservatory, and the sports people didn't really mess with the conservatory people, and the conservatory people didn't really mess with the sports people. Um, but, you know, at the improv shows and at the plays, there are there are basketball players and football players, and, and the, um, in the one acts that we just did, there were some athletes who were in the plays. And so just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really tight knit community where there's a lot of crossover and, and everybody wants to see everybody succeed. And it's, it's really a great environment. I'm kind of being a, a spokesperson, a salesman for m and right. right now, but it's a, it's a fantastic place. And I saw your mental health coincide with that type of an environment, um, I saw your mental health improve being in that environment. Yeah. it um, Being in a place where I was doing the things that I wanted to do and that I'm passionate about doing, um, you know, obviously there are things that I don't want to do that I have to do anyways, but that's life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but being able to work on on plays and musicals um, from a, a Christian frame of reference um, and being surrounded by other people who want to do that as well is uh, it, it was really encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. During that spring semester of 2023, you also started having some more long range ideas, wouldn't you say, about what your career was going to look like after you graduate? Yes, I started thinking about uh, starting a theater company specifically to produce um, plays and and musicals, but mostly plays from a a biblical perspective, Um, you know, writing new works and, and creating a new culture around the arts that that has been very um, secularized in the last hundred years, you know, starting to bring back um, the, uh, a truly biblical worldview into the arts was something that I was becoming increasingly passionate about and starting to, um, you know, lay the foundation of, of what I would hope to do with my life. That led into summer, which you ended up doing what over the summer of 23? I was an intern at the Culture House, which is a, an arts organization in Olathe. And I did shows there in high school and had done their summer Broadway shows. I got to perform at the Kauffman Center, which is Kansas City's finest performing arts venue. You know, it's a it's a beautiful theater, and I, I've got to do a lot of work with them uh, as a student and take classes and really grow myself as an artist. And so I sat down with Jeremiah, who's, who's the uh, executive director there, and he and I kind of worked out what it would look like for me to, to help out around the place in the summer. And I said, all right, I will help you with building sets and cleaning the warehouse. But here's my idea, Jeremiah. What if we make a professional theater company? <laughs> and um, for people who have listened to other episodes of the podcast uh, that I am uh, a part of, you're not going to be surprised that I had a big idea. Um <laughs> But apparently Jeremiah thought I was the guy for that. Um, so we started plugging away and developing what would turn into the Balladeer Theater Company. And the Balladeer Theater Company does what? The Balladeer Theater Company uh, creates new plays and fosters a supportive and collaborative culture from a biblical perspective to form a new culture around the theater community of Kansas City. And you had your first series of plays not too long ago talk about that on friday october 13th we had our very first uh night of new plays it was called first draft it was uh, five plays written by five artists who also directed and acted in everything i could get really nerdy on the philosophy behind that but basically Uh, To make a long story short, everybody who was in the company is really good at the things they do, and we wanted to be able to grow and showcase those talents. So five artists wrote, directed, and acted all five of these plays. We had about an hour-long show, and um, you know, I think it was a fantastic night, and we had uh, about 100 people there. It was a great audience, and we're really excited to continue working into the future. When is the next show, Will? The next show will be March 1st. 
It will be at Culture House Stage and Studio, which is in Oak Park Mall. Uh, for those of you who are Kansas City locals, you know where that is. It's up on the second floor by Nordstrom. And uh, it'll be another night of new plays. And there's going to be five or six brand new theatrical works that, that you know, some of them are funny. Some of them are thought-provoking. But all of them are very good. And so we would uh, we would love to see you there and support this growing uh, new theatrical endeavor. I know I'm your mother, but I can also say, as just a, a person, just a mom, that <laughs> the plays were fabulous. And there were several of our friends who came in support of you, and they were all really impressed with the quality of talent, the quality of writing, and can't wait for the next batch of new works one of the fun things about this format is the shows are only you know 10 15 minutes long and so if you aren't in love with one of them you just wait a few minutes and maybe you'll like the next one They're, they were all very different in style and in in form and genre and so there was truly something for everybody i know it's a little cliche to say it like that but in uh in an age where we have all sorts of short form content on, on TikTok and Instagram and even YouTube being able to retain a non theater going audience's attention for an hour and a half or two hours with a single storyline or a single play or musical is increasingly difficult. And so this is a, this is a really good way for us to get new theater audiences through the door and um, enjoying some great new plays. I want to point out, as well that the Culture House is a nonprofit organization. The Balladeer Theater Company, which is under the umbrella of the Culture House, is also a nonprofit, which means you have to raise money, right? It's yes. not falling off of a tree somewhere. Yeah, unfortunately we don't we don't have a money tree in the backyard. Um, and this is going to be my full time job after I graduate uh, here in a few months. <laughs> um, Mama's shaking her head over mm. there, but uh, that means that I get to raise money to pay for my salary and pay for the other artists who get to to put on these plays. And so, um, you know, one of the super fun parts of my job is I get to fundraise for Balladeer Theater Company. So if you have any interest in that at all, uh, you can check out the show notes. You yep. can shoot me an email and I would love to chat more about the Culture House's mission and vision. Uh, we will definitely put that in the show notes and link that so that if anyone's interested in supporting balladeers or the Culture House in general, they can find that information easily. One of the things that has so impressed me about what you're doing with balladeers is art influences culture. And you and Jeremiah had a fundraising lunch a couple of months ago, and you spent a lot of time talking about that. And what I can say is that based on seeing the first uh, shows that you guys did, they weren't quote unquote Bible stories. What were they? Well, we had uh, an absurdist piece that talked about absolute truth. We had a ghost story. We had a love at first sight story. Um, you know, it, it was... Uh, uh, a wide variety of non-biblical topics. Um, you know, it wasn't just 
oh, David slays Goliath with a stone, or, you know, Jesus came back from the dead on the third day, All, both of which are true and very important to my faith. But just because we're coming from a biblical worldview doesn't mean that our art has to be ex explicitly evangelistic in nature. Art doesn't have to be Jesus-y in order to spread the message of the gospel, especially in an arts culture that is increasingly secularized and where, um, you know, art isn't congruent with the message of the Bible, even just sharing stories, uh, everyday stories from a worldview that is biblical and is Christian in, in formation, you know, that that's somewhat of a radical idea at this point. And these plays were family, very family friendly. And I think that's the other point that I really want to make sure we hit on is that, yes, everything you do is from the lens of your biblical worldview. And that thus informs that these shows are meant for audiences of all ages. Absolutely. You know, the Bible isn't always rated G for everyone. You know, there are some there's some pretty intense moments in the Bible, but the Bible is not always prescriptive. It's not always telling us what to do. Uh, oftentimes it is descriptive or showing what has happened. And, you know, as anybody can tell you, human history is messy. And so... The, we're not trying to emulate those moments of description. We're trying to take to heart the moments of prescription that are in the Bible. When this airs, you will be going to graduate in 11 months. Wow, <laughs> that's less than a year. Um, you've already got your future kind of mapped out a little bit. Are there any other exciting things that will be happening in your future, Will? Well, hoping everything goes well, uh, I'll have a fiancé at this point. Um, right now, I am uh, in the process of finalizing a few last things to propose to Kaylee. Um, so that's really exciting. And assuming she says yes. Assuming she says yes. <laughs> we won't <laughs> um, cut this part out because you'll have a fiancé yeah, when assume, this airs. Assuming she says yes, we'll be getting married in December, um, right after I graduate. And so I will... Um, be starting my professional career um, as a married man. Based on the upcoming big life changes that are in your not too far future, what will you do to prepare yourself mental health wise for those changes? It's a great question and something that we've definitely considered a lot um, with preparing to make these decisions. We have done some uh, counseling through the university as a couple, which has been super helpful. A lot of universities offer free counseling to their students, and I felt like it would be foolish not to take advantage of that, especially um, because you're never going to get three free therapy again ever in your life. And so we, uh, we were able to do some uh, couples counseling to, again, better prepare us for this transition into marriage. And we will continue um, doing some specifically premarital counseling before our wedding. And another thing that uh, has been important for us is just planning, being really intentional about, um, you know, how we're going to use our money and how we're going to... Uh, 
deal with meals. You know, we don't know for certain because we're not there yet, but we we want to be able to plan and stay flexible. That's a, that's a Pastor Sladen-ism right there, um, Kaylee's grandfather. Um, he's He's been a great uh, source of wisdom for, for us as a young couple, and both uh, him and his wife and then my parents and Kaylee's parents, we've, we've all been able to have some really great discussions and, and we want to continue seeking wise counsel uh, from, you know, successfully married couples. My parents have been married for over 30 years, Kaylee's for over 25 and, and her grandparents for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so again, it feels just foolish not to take advice um, from those wiser couples who, who have had really successful marriages. Successful, but not without issues. Absolutely. You know, every marriage is going to have uh, its uh, its ups and downs. You know, I can't say too much because I'm 20 years old and I'm married <laughs> at this point. I'll be 21 when this drops. Whoop, whoop. Um, but, you know, being able to to have a united front when when confronting any uh, potential issues or conflicts and and, you know, just trying to stay positive and and they've they've given us some great wisdom they being all three of those couples have given us some great wisdom going forth into our upcoming marriage. And you are still on medication. Yeah, boy. And you meet with your psychiatrist regularly. Yeah. About every three months. Is that right? It sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And we'll continue to do so as long as necessary, which. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows how long that's going to be? Um, you know the the goal is to to be safe and happy and healthy and you know the goal is not to eliminate bad days because you would be a robot the goal is to make sure that your good days vastly outnumber your bad days everybody's going to have bad days again the goal is to to be in a place where you can effectively deal with any any of these um potentially negative or or harmful thoughts that that you have or any uh, environmental factors that might influence that. Mm -hmm. Because mental health, your mental illness doesn't just go away. Unfortunately, no. No. I mean, I'm in a really good place Mm -hmm. right now. And I I mean, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders Mm -hmm. and I still have depression and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And that's... um, you know, going to a few sessions of therapy and taking 90 milligrams of whatever I take isn't just going to magically change that. Mm-hmm. And you still have your personal therapist, Dana Dahl, whom I did an episode with, I think it was season two. Now I don't even remember, but <laughs> um, wonderful therapist. Yeah, and she's y- amazing. You still see her on an as-needed basis. Yeah, you know, it's not a, oh, I'm going in twice every week because I'm in a really bad spot. You know, if, I, if I'm if i having something that I've been dealing with that I need a little bit of perspective on or need some, uh, some professional advice on um, or just need to talk through something, Dana is a, is a fantastic resource, and I would recommend that everybody finds somebody who uh, they, can, they can have as a resource like that, you know. Obviously, Dana's high on my list to recommend, but um, as long as you find somebody that works for you, even if you don't have a, a anxiety disorder or OCD or PTSD or any of these things, you know, 
as a person, you're going to have things that you struggle with and deal with. And having a professional who who is trained and licensed to help people through things, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good pretty good plan of action anytime you're struggling with something. Everyone could benefit from therapy. I just want to emphasize the point again that if at any time in the future you start slipping back into a deeper depression, what will you do? I will reach out. Um, well, first I'll, I will tell my wife <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll talk to my parents and then the next step will be to, you know, schedule an appointment with Dana and, and get a plan of action going mm-hmm. because you have to be willing to, uh, to work and to, to put in the hours to get out of some of these uh, circumstances that, that depression might put you in. Let's do a quick recap of, of The Brightest It's Ever Been. So The Brightest It's Ever Been is a fantastic new play about anxiety written by Kaylee Slayton, my now fiancé. And we have had three great runs of the show. Uh, one or two of them have been uh, public, open to the public performances, and one of which was a... Um, The other one of those three was at a uh, fundraiser gala for Johnson County Mental Health. Um, I feel like that's a pretty good, I feel like that's a pretty good accreditation of our play being helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And we had a a fantastic response to that. And so now our goal is to take Brightest on a regional tour uh, to a handful of cities around uh, the Midwest and, and, to, to get some more eyes on it because, again, it's a play that anybody will benefit from seeing. And um, I, I will throw in the show notes since uh, I am your producer. I'll put in the show notes our, uh, our fundraising link for that. Um, if you are particularly interested in supporting uh, theater and uh, theater from a perspective of helping others and uh, mental health, then this would be a, a great opportunity for you to help us uh, do our play that has you know, shed a lot of light on this um, ever-present issue. Every person I know who has seen it has been incredibly impacted by it, myself included. Even though I had parented you at that point for five and a half years through mental illness, It wasn't until I saw The Brightest It's Ever Been that I, for the first time, understood what it must be like to live with a mental illness. That is the impact that this play has. So once we know where your touring city stops will be, um, I'll definitely put that on the website and throw it on the show notes or something so that people can know where they can come and, and see this play because it is incredible. Yeah, I'm a little biased because not only did my fiance write it and star in it, but uh, I'm also the director and producer. Um, but it is phenomenal. It's a it's a really great play, and um, I hope that you will uh, consider supporting it uh, financially through the link in the show notes. Or uh, if we are coming to a city near you, we would love to see you out there, and uh, I'd love to say hello after the show. Hmm. Will it's. Really great to see you doing so well. Um, You're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
I just want to encourage everyone who's listening that, you know, this is not a linear journey. This has not been a straight line by any stretch of the imagination. It's been definitely hills and valleys and points of pain and difficulty. But to see where you are now and how you are thriving and doing so well is such an encouragement to me. And I hope will be encouraging to the listeners. Absolutely. It's, uh, again, it's been quite the journey over the last 10 years. Um, but I, I do want to make sure that everybody listening knows that there is, uh, there is a lot of hope after, uh, going through something, uh, a number of some things, you know, I'm out on the other side and, and I'm, again, I feel like I'm doing really well. And, Again, there are going to be days that are hard and seasons that are more difficult than others, but but I'm uh, I'm confident that with my support system, I'll be able to get through them just fine. Will, thank you for giving us this update on your life and your story. And so many listeners want to know what's going on with you. So I'm guessing we'll do another one again in the future in another couple of years maybe we'll see yeah, always happy to chat with my fans <laughs> oh, <brother>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> thank you will for updating us and for being on this episode of the just a mom podcast thank you Susie. <laughs> <laughs> thanks mama <laughs> If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.